Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. We have a beautiful day. What a great weekend we had here in New York. The sun is out. We have beautiful weather going on here. And what a way to kick off the show with a little e-trope out of Chicago, Seeking Asylum, and that features the late Barry Stern. What a great drummer and vocalist. And, you know, for quite a bit of time, he played in trouble uh, towards the end when Jeff Ole Olsen parted ways with the band. So great guy, one of the guys I wish I could have had on the show. But you know what? June is over. We had an amazing bunch of guests this month, and we're wrapping it up in a really big way. We have Jim Little from Rogue Mail and Gerard DiMarini. I bet he thought I was going to get that name wrong, but hey, I'm a fan from way back in the day, from Americade. First interview in God knows how long, so we're looking forward to talking to Gerard in the second half of the show. And Mr. Kenny Pierce from PierceMail.com will be calling in with all the concert count update midway through. But right now, the Andrew to my Amos, the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson, the Luca Brazzi to my Don Corleone, Mr. Tommy Falanga. What's up, Big P? Hello there. <laughs> well, hello there, Kingfish. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> not so much, not much. Yeah. Nah. That's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is. Yeah. I love it, man. You know what we got to do? We got to do like a Godfather Luca Brazzi thing. I got to get you to go over to the Talking Metal podcast and tell them that you're not happy with the way I'm running business around here and that you're looking to work with them and find out what's going on and how they get their guests and we we'll kind of infiltrate them over there, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, that's a great podcast. I listen all the time. I love the TV show they had on Fuse. Uh, oh, yeah. I, that was I, good, yeah. Yeah, they got to have the Talking Metal podcast, those two guys. They have had they were like one of the first metal podcasts, of like, I mean, really, in the beginning of yeah. uh, the whole internet fan. thing. Yeah, I yeah and like I used to like the TV show. Yeah, and it was pretty good. Jamming. It was on Fuse. They used to jam. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah, we don't hate nobody around here. Yeah, anything that supports metal, we're all for that. Except for... <laughs> no, I'm like Except for, <laughs> well, you know, well, listen, we got a great bunch of guests tonight, like I just said. You know, I just finished uh, lining up all the guests for July, and we're looking pretty good for next month. Next week, we got Bobby Blitz, Ellsworth from Overkill on the show, and David DeFeese from Virgin Steel. Uh, we got Ann Hillian, from, Ann Boland from Hillian the week after that. I and believe the, the metal god Rob Halford will be on the third week of the show, or Glenn Tip and Musher, who is going to be doing interviews oh. that weekend. Oh. Uh, but we should have one of them on here. So uh, we're looking pretty good for July. Great bunch of, I said we were going to take it easy guest-wise, but it looks like we're just picking up where we left off, huh? Yeah, that sounds good, man. Doing yeah, good. hell yeah, that's what I say. I know, I know. Well, I got to wish my daughter a happy birthday. It's not until Tuesday, but we went out today to celebrate because, you know, we can't be seeing her on her actual birthday. That's for her friends only these days, as they get older, you know? So oh, yeah. uh, we went out today for a little dinner, and we had a good time. And uh, 20 years old, man, my youngest. My youngest turns 20, so I'm really feeling old now. Right. <laughs> There's no more teenage years left for any of them, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It goes by real Moving quick. On. Moving I know, on. the sad part is, is now it's just me and my wife, and oh, dear God in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> she, needs, she needs a break. <laughs> You're not kidding, she needs more than a break. <laughs> All right, you know what? Let's get on a tune by Rogue Mail because we've got to give Jim a call right now. It's getting late in the UK. And uh, we like to get our UK guests on a little earlier so we're not keeping them up past their bedtime these days. You know, we're not 20 years old anymore for most of us. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. All right. So let's go back to the old days of Rogue Mail. Here's Get Off My Back. And I'll try to get those uh, paper cups of string lined up from here to the UK. And we'll reach out to Jim because I never have any luck using that Skype. But we'll see how it goes. Sounds like. All right. You got it. Here you go. Get Off My Back. <laughs> Thank you. 
Get off my back, kid. That should have been my wedding song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get Jim on the line here. Let's see if this works. And I hate this Skype. Yeah, it's kind of funky. It's, it, it's cheap and easy to use, but I mean, you know, making these connections is a real pain. I remember when I was a kid, if I called New Jersey, my father would give me a beat because it's like a long distance phone call. Yeah, now you're calling England. Yeah, remember that? You call England today for like 10 cents for like an hour conversation. Back then, if you call the state next to you, it's like a $100 phone call. Yeah. It's incredible. I remember when we used to be a 212 area code. Remember before they changed it to 718 for Brooklyn? Yeah. 
I refuse because back you used to have to dial a one before the area. I refuse to make a phone call for about a year because I refuse to dial that one. <laughs> it, yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a, a bitch now. You got to use seven one eight every time and the one. You got to put the one. That's why I would not, I would not use the phone for a year. Thank God back then in Brooklyn, all your friends lived on your block. You yelled out your window and everybody came out. You didn't have to worry about anything. True. true. <laughs> all right, let me let me try this one more time here. The Skype isn't working. I know I have a cell phone number here. If that doesn't work, I'll try a cell phone and uh, I'll try to connect them there. Okay. Nah, same call failed. Okay, let me try a cell phone number. If not, you know what? Let me get on a tune and uh, we'll try to get them on there. And we'll do it that way. What a pain this Skype is, I tell you. All right, you know what? How about we get on a... Uh, let me see. What can we do here? Let's get on a New York band over here. Sounds good. Sounds good? Yeah. All right. Who do you want to play? Should I play Tempest? <laughs> I already played that last week. Oh, you played last week, yeah. I didn't get to oh. the other one, right? How about we do Black Lace? Okay. Yeah, cool, cool. Great. Yeah. I was, uh, I was talking to Marianne, the singer from that band, for a while. I was trying to get her on the show. But, like, she's completely out of it. They did, did, like, one reunion gig a while back, but they aren't really, like, you know, doing anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I went to go look at it. I mean, she was pretty hot back in the 80s. You know, she looked pretty good. Especially she's one of those fishnet stockers. Today, she looks like, like a poor man's own degenerate. But, I mean, I guess time takes its toll on everybody, you know? Yeah, right. All right, here you go. Damn cheetah. Let me try Jim again.
all Black Lives Dance Cheetah. I just got Jim on Facebook. He said his it's uh his uh skyping isn't isn't ringing. Oh. So I don't know what the heck is going on here today. Hmm. I have no idea. I'm clueless. Can he call you? No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, he can call in here. You know what? I'm going to play one more tune. I'm going to try something else. I know with Skype, if you don't add the other person, like as a friend on Skype, you can't oh. make the connection a lot of times. He might not have approved me as somebody on his list. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so okay. let me tell him that. Maybe he has to click on that. That happens a lot. I just realized that because he keeps saying call failed. Even though his picture is coming up, I don't think he approved it. Let me just email him about that. I'll get on one more tune. I know. Let's play the brand new Accept. Have you heard it yet? Uh, yes, I did, but I w- would like to hear it on the show, definitely. Oh, there you go. Well, we'll get that. His brand new Accept comes out next, well, actually in August, and I kind of pushed it back a few weeks, but uh, he has a song called Stampede. After this, I should have Jim on the line.
sounds man. great, huh? <laughs> I like it a lot. You like that, huh? All right, you know what? I'm going to try to – he's, he says he's online, and he just can't get me. I don't know what the heck is going on here. Let me see if I could uh, call group, uh, save group, and Kai. This is such a pain. I, I hate this with a passion. Let me see if I could try it this way. But a lot of times when I do it like this, it winds up disconnecting everybody. Let me see. Add the contacts. Let me try this here. Jim. We'll do that. What a pain technology is, you know? Yeah, well, you know, with, with a little pain, you get a little pleasure, I guess. I know. Let's try to see if this goes through. Maybe that'll work. That sounds like it. Hello? Jim, this is Mike. Hi, Mike. How's it going? I, th- I tell you, I think it would have been easy to jump on a plane, fly over there, and interview you at your house. <laughs> this is like... Yeah, so like a <laughs> I cannot... I, I don't know. I mean, I know I came from a different generation, but I, I should be able to make a phone call. I can't figure out this technology. It's killing me. <laughs> I'm I'm looking on the uh, on the on the show, but I can't see anything where it says connect to host. The last time I looked myself was about seven years ago. <laughs> I changed since then. <laughs> I don't know myself, but I got you now. That's all that matters. A little late. Okay. I apologize. Can we, can we but... do it on the phone then? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, if you don't mind, I, you know, I'll pay no for problem. it. So don't worry yeah, about it. It's no... on me. Yeah, no problem. All right. Hey, look, it's great talking today. I mean, I go back with the band a long way, and I'm glad that you decided some years ago to put it back together again. I mean, uh-huh. what brought it about? Were you just, like, interested in doing music again? Because you kind of left music for a long time uh, after the band broke up in the early days. Yeah, yeah, we did, actually. Uh, what happened, uh, we ran into a lot of legal trouble. Uh, it took a long time to get out of the contracts and everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just went on and on and on. In the end, it just ruined the whole uh, concept of the band, and, and the, the guys just split up. We just went our four separate ways, and... Basically, that was it. You know, it ran us into the ground. Basically, uh, it took us six years to get out of the contracts, um, and it was just one hell of a legal battle. It, it, I mean, and to get the copyright of the songs back as well—that was another hassle. Yeah. But um, I own the copyright of all, the, all all the material now, so. Well, that's good. That's that's a good thing about it. But I, I hear that so often. Like you ask a lot of bands, you know, why did you break up? You said you get some good gossip. Guys weren't getting along. They were fighting. But it seems nine out of ten times, most bands broke up because of poor management and just the whole business aspect of, you know, the music industry in general. That's what kills a lot of bands, it seems. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened because, uh, I mean, at the time we knew that we were getting ripped off. We knew that it was, uh, you know, there was things happening. I mean, when we were on tour and stuff, I mean, I'll give you an example. Our manager... Uh, we could never ever inspect the books or anything, that, even though we had it written into the contract that we could do that. But we, he never would let us see the books, or uh, we never knew anything was going on on, on the business side. And uh, in the end, uh, and we actually found out uh, through our solicitor that the, the manager was helping himself to four hundred pounds a day, and that wow. was just for office expenses. Wow, he and had a lot of papers. In, and that was back in that was back in the mid mid eighties, so that was a lot of money, you know. Uh, and of course, we weren't. We didn't see any of it at all. We didn't see any royalties. We'd, we'd never been paid any royalties. And and uh, you know, the, the legal fees when it came to 150,000 pounds, that's sterling. And you know, it, it, we just couldn't. Uh, we, we just couldn't hold out to that. You know, so 
uh, in the end, uh, the band split up and um, we kind of gave up. Um, but what happened was, uh, back back in uh, '09, um, the albums were re-released again, and uh, Sony BMG licensed them out to several different um, independent labels, and they did it without asking my permission. Uh, they assumed that they owned the copyright, and of course they didn't. And um, but uh, you know that's the negative side. The positive side is that uh, it kicked off interest again in the band, so we decided to put it back together again. And uh, here we are. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you did. I mean, you put out a new record since that time. But that record, actually, it was you. But you had all my buddies on there. Bernie Tomei, John McCoy. Did you, yeah, like, were you friends with most of those guys? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm friends with this guy. I've known Bernie since way back in the 80s, you know. And um, what happened was, I mean, I tried to find the guys from Rogue Milk and didn't know where they were. And I tried to track them down. And, and uh, I couldn't, couldn't actually find them anywhere. Did you go to the in local fact, pubs? <laughs> Even the bass player Kevin, we still haven't to this day. We still haven't been able to trace him anywhere. No one knows where he is. They've never seen him again. And you know, we, we did try and get the original lineup back together again, but uh, that that didn't happen. But I mean, going back to Bernie and the lads, I mean, I, I was just itching to get doing something again. And um, uh, basically, the, the, the Polish record company that uh, Metal Mind Productions are called, they wanted to put a tour. They wanted to put a band out. So I asked Bernie and John McCoy would they, would they help me out. And, if, and we did the album Nail It, and we were going to do the tour. But uh, the Polish uh, record company, when they realized how much it was going to cost, they, they backed out, and uh, that was that. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. you do have John. John's playing with you again right now, right? Uh, no, no. Uh, who, sorry, John Denny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got John. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I finally caught up with Johnny, and uh, we, we, when we met, we, you know, it, we hit it off immediately again, and and that was that was basically it. It's, uh, let's get Rogue Mail back on the road again, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but we tried to we tried to get um, the original bass player. We had uh, Philip Clark who played on the first album. We tried to get him on board, but unfortunately. Uh, it didn't work out with him, uh, health problems and stuff like that. So we just uh, we have a guy with us now, a guy called Tony Forsyth on bass, and uh, it's working fine. Well, I'm glad that's working fine. You know, a lot of people don't realize Johnny actually played with Ozzy the first time that he was uh, kicked out of Sabbath, I guess, in, in the '70s before the Never Side Die record. He was kind of hooked up with him and his band back then before the Blizzard of Oz. That's right. Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, I don't know what happened there, but. Um, they were uh, set to go on tour, and then the next thing uh, uh, Johnny uh, was expecting, he was actually sitting, he actually told me about that. He was sitting in his flat with his suitcase packed, ready to go, waiting for a taxi to come for him, and it never came. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the next thing, uh, Ozzy had turned up in America and, and started a new, totally new band with Randy Rose and those guys, you know? Yeah, yeah, that was probably Sharon Osbourne that did that. She was an evil human being. She probably did that. <laughs> She's like the devil incarnate, that woman. <laughs> I know she's like a national treasure over in the UK. <laughs> she's like a treasure in the UK. We hate her here in the US. We're trying to deport her if we can. Is that right? Yeah, we're trying to get her out of here. We're trying to take a green card from her and a visa and get her out of here. So she kills Ozzy more than she already has. 
I, I remember back in the 80s. I can't remember the year because I can barely remember yesterday, but it was like 85 or 87. And you guys uh-huh. were supposed to come here on tour with Motley Crue. And I know that's that didn't right, happen, yeah. but you, I think it was Sabotage I saw you guys with, I, if I remember uh, right. That's right, yeah. Uh, well, what happened there, uh, we actually arrived in New York to go uh, on tour with Motley Crue. And uh, it was the, the day before we, we, sh- we were supposed to go on tour, the, uh, the guys, uh, the A&R guys from Electra Records called us around to the office. And they told us that uh, Motley Crue had listened to First Visit and had decided that they didn't want us on the tour. And <laughs> they kicked up a bit of a stink. So that was that, basically. We couldn't figure out why Electra just wouldn't... Um, you know, I think they could have told them, look, these guys are going on tour and that's that. But I don't know what kind of politics was going down there. But in the end, that uh, we had to do the tour with uh, Sabotage and another band called Illusion. Oh, I remember those guys. They were terrible. <laughs> I actually thought they were quite good, believe it yeah, or not. Yeah, you liked you know, them. I, thought, I did actually like them, yeah. I thought they had a sort of a, there was a, you know, kind of an ACDC kind of a feel to what they were doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but I remember when you came, I was like so thrilled because, you know, that, people don't forget, like back in the early 80s, there was no internet. There were very few magazines that were able to write about bands like yourself. You know, you didn't have that many. And you had maybe Crang and Sounds where you guys were. That was about it. And yeah, that was sort of, it, yeah. It's like to see you come up with that image. I mean, you had the whole Mad Max thing going on, the, the costumes, the makeup. It was like so over the top for the yeah, time, you know? Uh, I'll tell you, yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly where we were. I mean, the, I would put it on a... If 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 and everything had it went well, uh, and the record companies, uh, uh, Electra, for instance, if they had it got behind it, and the 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 ideas that we had, uh, the whole show thing that we had planned, it would have been enormous. Um, I would put it on a par with something like the likes of Ramstein. That's what we had in mind. That kind of production and that kind of show is the kind of show that we were looking for. Yeah, and if it if it had a, if it had worked out, it, that's that's what it would have been, you know. It was just an amazing thing back then because it was new, it was different, and really a lot of people weren't going out a lot like that. Like a young band just starting out, they didn't kind of put those theatrics on. That's something that Kiss did here in the U.S. very early on, but not a lot of other bands did that. And are you going to still that's do right, that today yeah. with the lineup today? You still going all out with that, or is it just is it a stripped down version now? Um, it, yeah, it, it's it's a stripped-down version. We still have that sort of element to it, but um, it, it, I mean, obviously, that we haven't got the finance that we had back then, and uh, so it is. It's, but it's still it's still fairly very much sci-fi, uh, Mad Max kind of thing. You know, it's still there. You know. Yeah, I always dug it, and you know, if you got that costume still, you got to put it up on eBay for sale. You still have that outfit. <laughs> Well, I'll you. tell you that that costume back then, uh, I donated that actually to uh, a children's charity. Oh, that was uh, good. Yeah, and there, it was for um, some kind of a pantomime thing they were having, and um, and I donated that that outfit. <laughs> oh, I if I remember, the gloves used to light up or something. It did, it did. Yeah, that was so cool back then. When you watch, like, wow, look at that. That's so cool. Yeah. Basically, that was um, parts, uh, you know, the idea came from, like, bits of engines and stuff at the front piece, for instance. Yeah. That was like a, a camshaft of an old car and stuff like that, you know. So I wanted to kind of blend that Mad Max with the Tron thing, you know, to get that kind of that sci-fi sort of thing going, but still have that punk element in it as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's one thing. Everybody groups you guys like the new wave of British heavy metal, and you were around, like, when that was taking off, and... 
and become mm-hmm. a popper, even though it wasn't known as that back then. Uh, but I always considered you guys more like uh, like you had so much of that punk influence in your music, like that late seventies Sex Pistols mixed in with yeah, rock and blues and, and heavy true, metal. Yeah. I always think it has such a great mix. And today the band sounds, if you go to the Nail It record, it sounds much different than the earlier stuff. But you're talking, you know, 25 years of musical influences creeping into you over that time. That's right, yeah. Um, well, you know, I think I've still got the same ingredients that I've always used, that, you know, on the first and the second album. But um, obviously I've moved on. Um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of trying to keep it. I don't want to move too far away from my original roots, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but I still you know I think the main ingredient is that we just um, you know we we just really nail it you know we've just got to go for it just you know uh, I like I like music to, to kick ass you know <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> everybody I mean you're out of Belfast and you know but in the early days were you based out of there or out of London uh, actually I'm kind of back and forward I I I live in London sometime and I'm I'm in Belfast sometime I'm kind of back and forward you know uh, there's really not much going on in Belfast but most of the gigs that we do are in London you know Yeah well what was it like back in the 80s cuz that was a rough time in that area of the world you know there was a lot going on over there was it yeah, hard sure. as a band trying to like you know make it make your way around over there like to get any attention or get known Um do you mean in, in London are you talking about? Uh, no, yeah. in Belfast, like in, 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 the, Belfast? In, the, in the early 80s. That was like a rough place to, you know, for a band to be, I would imagine. It sure was, man. It sure was. I mean, even even before that, I mean, back in the, in the you know, in the 70s, I mean, I played in a punk band here in, 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 in Northern Ireland. And uh, we played all right, and we played in some really dangerous places, but uh, we just, we, it had to be done, you know. We just yeah. played on. Uh, we had a few serious incidents, but... Um, uh, we 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 came through it, you know. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that that was a real bad time. And it, but you know, look, I think we're over it now, you know. Oh, I, I think so. I would hope so. It's <laughs> been yeah. a long time, but people forget that you were in uh, the punk band Pretty Boy Floyd, and you were also in the That's pictures. Right. And you, you were in the pictures too for a while. I was indeed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, Pretty Boy Floyd and the Gems. Believe it or not, Pretty Boy Floyd and the Gems were actually Northern Ireland's first punk band. Uh, there, you know, but this is like before before the stiff little fingers or any any other band like that. Uh, Pretty Boy Floyd and the Jones were actually out and about. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm talking very early '77, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, talk, I'll tell you a little story. Actually, we played in Dublin one night, and there was a band on before us, and they were called Sailor Boy. And you'll not believe who it was. It turned out to be the Boomtown Rats. Oh wow! <laughs> so they were before they were on before us, and there was these guys. I couldn't when I seen these guys. These guys looked like uh, they had these silly sailor kind of uniforms on, you know. Yeah. And they were called Sailor Boy, and it was really, really strange. But they they were calling themselves a a new wave band. That's what it, yeah. <laughs> I, that was what was happening at the time. That's right. <laughs> so uh, the only other band at the time around at the time was a band called the Radiators from Space. And they were from Dublin, and they became the Pogues. Oh, everybody knows that band. Nobody knew like yeah. early on, you know, what these bands are going to be. That's right. <laughs> so there was a lot going. There was a lot going on there. I guess, like you know, I think like the new wave scene kind of like came out of the punk scene in a way because it had a little bit of those elements in it, even though it was a different sound of music. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a bit of a confusion going on at the time that between punk and new wave. It was it was all very much of a muchness, you know. 
It was. But this, when, now when you're in England and you got there's like so much going on over there. I mean, you're in England. You're in England anyway. I mean, but in yeah. London, there was a lot going on. The scene was so vibrant back then. A lot of things happening. Was it hard yeah. to kind of get your band to stand out amongst the rest of the crowd, even though you had a lot going on visually? But you, musically, how was it like trying to fit in with the rest of the bands there? It was, yeah, um, that was pretty difficult. Yeah, to try and uh, to try and stand out. That, that was probably the hardest thing to do back then. You know, um, I mean, as I say, I mean the, the rogue meal thing. Uh, I mean, I see the rogue for me. It was a, just a continuation, basically, of the punk, uh, the punk influence that I had, uh, and I, I just carried it forward into the people would call it, you know, the metal scene. But um, rogue meal were were kind of in at the at the beginning, even of the new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, we weren't really doing that the traditional metal thing, you know. We were kind of still doing that punk uh, element, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what made it. When we became, we got, we kind of got roped into all that metal scene. Um, but when we did, it, we stood out from the rest because we did actually look and sound different, you know. Yeah, yeah, you really did. But how important was it back then to make it in America? Because I know you came here for that tour, and you were hoping, I guess, that would be your foot in the door. And it seems like every band wanted to come here to America to make it. How important was it for a band back then to break in the U.S.? Uh, well, it was. I would say it was pretty difficult, you know. I mean, if you don't, if you didn't have a record company behind you, it was, you know, pretty impossible, really, you know. Um, I mean, we thought uh, we had everything going for us at the time, and when we did tour around there, we we, we did get great great reception, and we got great reviews, and uh, we thought that that would have been it, really. But, you know. <laughs> The trouble started for us when when we looked at the how, how the record company was was treating us. Um, they they didn't really do any marketing, uh, they, and they didn't really do any promotion at all. Really, you know, uh, I, we couldn't figure out really what was going on. But um, well, we tried to get to the bottom of it, and and, and we couldn't, you know. So uh, in the end, we just thought this is not this is not working for us, you know. Uh, the record company are not honoring the, the contract, basically. It always amazes you how these record companies sign a band and you invest money to them, and yet then they do nothing to promote them. They let them kind of flounder and fall apart on their own with absolutely well, yeah. no support or help. Yeah, that's what, that's what we actually thought at the time. At the time, we thought um, they, that they, they deliberately signed us to hold us back. I didn't think they wanted uh, any uh, competition from, from England at the time, you know? Yeah. What uh, that's the impression that we got, you know, but I don't know if it's true or not, but it seemed that way, you know. It seems that way for a lot of bands. I, I, to this day, I can never figure out how record companies just, like, abandon, like, people that they sign and they, they want to help out in their labor. It seems like you such a waste. So, wouldn't you? You would think that uh, if they thought, here's a, here's a band and they're pretty hot, let's sign them up, let's push it. But um, that didn't happen, but, you know, it's just, that's the way a cookie crumbles, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's a shame. <laughs> but what do you got going on today? I mean, the new record, the last record came out, I think, in 2009. you got a couple of years now. Are you working on any new material, looking to put something new out? We ha- I, have, I have a multitude of songs written. And, you know, we're waiting for just for the right connection. If we can get the right company, uh, the right label, uh, there's no point in putting out another album ourselves independently because we can't, we can't push it properly, you know. Uh, so we'd really need to, to get a label behind us. Uh, but as I say, we have loads of songs written, and uh, the, 
there will be a new album out pretty soon. But uh, we are kind of negotiating with a couple of companies who have expressed interest. So we'll see what, what happens. I can't really say too much at this point in time. But uh, fingers crossed, we, sh- we hope to have something out later this year. Ah, uh, that would be great. Who's more yeah. of a national treasure in Ireland? Is it like Gabriel Bryan or Pierce Brosnan or Bob Geldof? <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> That's a hard one. It's tough, right? All I want to know uh, is, you know, I love Frank McCord, a great author, and he's wrote some amazing books like Angel's Ashes. I don't know if you ever read the book or saw the movie. Oh, what the yeah. hell is the consumption? That's all I want to know is what is the consumption? The consumption, that's, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, it's like uh, like TB kind oh, of thing, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it's, I, that, it's uh, you know bad diet and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I guess I got the consumption then. I must have that. Yeah, I think I have that as well. <laughs> all right. So my wife's not telling me. I hope you get it. So now I know what it is. I thought it was something more evil than that, but I can live with that. <laughs> that's yeah, I think uh, I think that's basically what it was. Um, uh, just uh, poor living quality, you know. Yeah, yeah. So what does the new material sound like? Does it sound like, is it like a follow-up to the last record? Or, you know, how does it sound? What are you, like, you, know, what are you working on? Um, well, uh, we're, we're still, we still have that punk element, that the edge, the, the raw cutting edge is still there. Um, I have ventured into, uh, I won't say a, a, like a ballad kind of thing, but I have tried to, you know, incorporate um, a sort of more lyrical uh, content, you know. Um, trying to, if you if you um, uh, have you seen the new the the, the last video we did uh, with the, the song called Liar? For Lie, yeah, I'm gonna play it after we uh, after we hang up. I'm gonna play that song. Oh wow, yeah. Now that that is uh, that's going that would go on the next album that that track. There will just I will always have tracks like that, Fast and Furious. That that's my my forte. Uh, but I'm trying to get into a darker, sort of more sinister mood with with some of the songs. Uh, we have another one. We have one called Zero R, and it's, a, it's an apocalyptic song. Um, so it's it's just we're, you know we're, we're developing that side of it as well. You know, that, that sounds great. You know, I always love the lyrics to your songs. When you go back to unemployment and you're dressed incognito from the front, there's always like a little tongue in cheek, you know, mixed into a lot of the stuff too. And I always, exactly, I, always yeah. I always enjoyed that. And, I mean, yeah. the, the band definitely changed from the from the first visit record to the next one. There was definitely a change in the sound and style. And they were only about yeah. like a year apart, I think, eighty five, eighty six. You think, yeah? Final well, Man. I don't know. I think that was down to production, really. You know, uh, uh, the first album, we, we you know, we kind of did it, you know, on a budget, and um, the second album that was just through the roof kind of thing. And there's too many, I think, really too many chiefs and not enough Indians on that album, you know? <laughs> yeah. Basically, you know? Is that a problem where you write a song, you write music, you go into the studio, and then other people start tinkering around and changing, and it doesn't sound like what you had written? Exactly. And- you, mean, you would not believe the, 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 what happened on that second album. Um, that, that album was taken out of our hands and mixed and remixed, and without our permission as well. And it, it turned into a fiasco, absolute fiasco, you know? And that was one of the reasons why we had to get out of the contracts, because we knew that Electra weren't doing anything to help us, you know? Yeah. Uh, we knew that they weren't, you know, when, they t- when you take their work away and, and, and mess it around without, without asking you or without letting, you, letting us even hear it, they were going to release it without even letting us hear it, you know? Wow. Yeah, man, that, was, that blew me away, you know? And when I heard their mix, it was so ridiculous. 
I, I actually uh, stressed the point, do not put my name on that, because that's not my work, you know? Wow, is that bad compared to what you... It, I, so I would love was, to hear the original like, versions of how you, you know, wrote those songs or how you wanted them to sound, you know? Well, this is it, yeah. I mean, um, we, we put a lot of time and effort into actually doing it, and, and uh, you know, when we were, when we were recording the second album, and we had it, as, as far as we were concerned, we had it, uh, you know, perfect, uh, and we, we were very happy with it. And then when they took it away and messed it, messed it about, and when I eventually did get to hear their mix that they were actually going to release, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't describe it to you, man. They took every, Johnny's, all the, all the guitar solos gone completely. No guitar solos in any of it. You know, we couldn't believe it. It was just a mess. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. I'll tell, I'll, tell, I'll tell you how bad it was, Mike. We, you know, like we were fooling around in the studio, we were kind of, you know, laughing and joking and stuff, and you know, we were kind of recorded little bits and pieces and stuff, you know? They actually put that in the album. They thought that was part of the album. <laughs> that's how ridiculous it was, you know? They, they had no concept of what you guys were doing and what you were about. <laughs> exactly, you know? It was just stupid, man. I was like, we couldn't man. believe it. And the irony is that they, that they spent thousands of dollars actually doing it, you know? Yeah, and that has to be heartbreaking because, like you said, it's your second album, it's the follow-up to the first one, which garnered you a lot of attention, and now mm-hmm. you're looking to capitalize on that, and you listen to it, you're like, who is this? It's not, it doesn't even sound like us. It's not the band that we, you know, we wanted to be. And, and exactly. it has to be heartbreaking because yeah. you put all that time and effort into the right music, and then yeah. with, the, with, the, you know, with the click of a button, somebody changes everything around on you, as simple yeah, as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the funny thing, uh, I'd like to meet up with you someday, Mike, because I've, I've actually got a copy of their mix, and I'd love you to hear it. You know? Oh, that'd be great. Well, I tell you, I'm coming to, the, I'm coming to London in uh, September, so if you're in that half of the... Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Yeah, come, I yeah that'll be good. I'd, I'd like to meet you. Yeah, that'd be I'm great. Gonna, I'm going to need somebody to take me around and translate for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll and I'll take you out for a pint. Nice one. Yeah, sounds Definitely. good. All right, well, yeah. listen, I'm not going to keep you much longer because I know it's getting late there. I want to play some more music by you guys, but I can't thank you enough for talking. I'm sorry it took me so long to connect with you. Next time no we problem. use uh, two no paper problem. cups and a string, and we'll get it done quicker probably. <laughs> okay, but But thank you very much. I do appreciate it. I'll talk to you real soon. Shit, yep, thank you very much, Mike. You I got appreciate it. it. Take yep. care, Jim. Thank you. Bye, bud. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Mr. Jim Little from Rogue Mail. I'm sorry, everybody. It took a little while to make that connection. But let's get the song that we were just talking about. It's called Kalai. This is brand new and it sounds great.
Rogue Mail Alliance. Hey, you there? Yeah, I'm here, baby. Now, I, tell you, I get so flustered when I can't get in touch with a guest. I keep trying, you know. Yeah. I'm here by myself. I'm trying to operate the switchboard, the control panel, dial the number, hook up Skype. I get so thrown off when that happens, and I hate it, you know. And every now and then it does. I mean, you can't rely on technology all the time, but it just throws me completely off when that happens. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it is a bit frustrating. Huh? I, I have to get an intern. You know, that's what it is. We need an intern around here. We need some college kid that we get to work for free. Not paying him any money, you know, give him slave labor, maybe whatever wages, you know, just keep him happy and make him do all the dirty work for us here. Pay for parking. Something like that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know what? We're going to get to Kent Pierce and Pierce's Metal in a couple of minutes. I'll play one or two tunes, and then we'll get Gerard on the line from America. We'll talk about those great old days back in the 80s, the days that I love and miss, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've been keeping track of Bruce Dickinson this week, but boy, he's been on a tear. In the course of one week, he ripped Metallica apart for playing that Glastonbury Festival because it's like a pop art festival or whatever. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't know, but he <laughs> tore them apart in, in the press one day. The next day, he went after punk punk music and punk musicians. Yeah, and they, don't know how to play their they don't know how to play their instruments. They're a waste. The day after, he tore Rob Holford a new ass by saying that, you know, why does he need a teleprompter to sing with the lyrics on there, especially to, like, breaking the law when he just keeps repeating the line over and over again oh, and other God. bands? He's been, like, on a... I mean, he's outspoken. We all know that. He's a great singer and an amazing frontman. Give him he's credit, but... on the wrong people. I'm like, but calm down. You're in the biggest... One of the biggest bands in the world. Metal and... I mean, just relax. You're rich. You fly airplanes. Take it easy. I heard yesterday... Yeah, I heard yeah. yesterday he went off on the Girl Scouts of America because there wasn't enough coconuts in the Samoa cookies. I mean, take it easy, then. Well, you Come know what? Now. I agree with him there. There's not enough coconut in the smoke? You got to start There's not enough cookies in the box. <laughs> <laughs> not for us, there isn't. Those, those boxes are like 100 calorie packs, does. Tell you, those boxes are getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> I don't know if the boxes are getting smaller, but I know they're getting bigger. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> well, maybe that's true. My hands are getting bigger, so this box yeah. is small. But you know what, really? I mean, I think I wrote on one of my posts, one of the posts about punk. Like, why are you picking on people who really love their music go after the corporate pop machine exactly. you know like there's a girl called Sia S-I-A Howard Stern had her on the radio the other day she's an older woman probably in her mid 40s not a you know outrageous looking pop chick you know she kind of yeah. keeps her anonymity she writes songs for Beyonce Katy Perry Rihanna I mean and and you hear her sing these songs, and they're actually good pop songs. But then she sells them to these assholes. The corporate, you know, studios get a hold of them. They well, the girls can't sing anywhere as good as her, so they have to, you know, use that machine there to play around with their voices. I mean, give me a break. I mean, J Lo is on that stupid. I I, I end up watching it because I, I watch it in like amazement that. Rock, oh, you can't. You, know, you watch because you like looking at four-year-old right. Puerto Rican women shake their ass. Who are you laughing well, at? Well, that's another kidding? story. But, you know, it's funny. She's on American Idol, and the kid won this year. He's like a cross between, uh, uh, what's his name, Rock, uh, uh, Meatloaf, and uh, and what's his name? I forget his fucking name. If I knew his name, I'd tell you. I don't know his name. Yeah, I forget about it. I can't think. I, my mind All is right. Spread. You get your thoughts together, and we'll get Kenny Pierce on the but line they, to entertain us for a couple of minutes. He's out there, and they... Put her on to show her new song. She's lip syncing, and these fucking twenty-year-old kids are out there singing their fucking balls off for their life, and she lip syncs. Give me oh, a break. 
Well, what do you get all upset for? What do you get all upset for? What do you care? Oh, that's what you should be picking on. Don't pick on Punk. Eh. I'll pick on Halford. I'm more pick on Halford. On Scouts. Pick on Halford because the, the production on the new album sucks. But, you know, as far as I can tell. It is pretty bad, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. What are you going to do? All right. All right, you know, we're a bunch of old farts. We're just grumpy, miserable people today. I don't know. Well, there you go. There you go. That's all. Angry we're going to see people in October. We're getting jackets. So that's all that matters. Yeah, check that out. All right. So that was pretty good, huh? Worked out. Good thinking, Good, good, good thinking, man. Hey, every now and then, you got to have a thought. You know, you can't go through 45 years without thinking about anything. <laughs> all right. Here's a guy who always has me thinking, Mr. Ken Pierce from PierceMiddle.com. Oh, yeah. Kenny, always- what's going on, my friend? Well, hey there, Michael. How are you doing on this fine Sunday evening? The metal is pure and hot, and it's almost as hot as the weather we're starting to get, which is pretty cool to uh, absorb. So, hey, let me get right down to the business of of these these shows. There's not a lot going on, but tonight, actually, over in um, at the Bowery Electric, you got the Great Black Oak, Arkansas, still doing it, man. They're they're still out there plugging away, which is pretty cool to see. Um, the elder statesman statesman of like a southern dirty rock kind of going on. Uh, Monday night over at Irving Plaza, you got Agalock, and that's a band I've been wanting to see for uh, a while. It's a black metal uh, atmospheric thing. And Tuesday, I see Seether is playing over at the Gramercy Theater, which is a pretty cool bit of news if you like Seether. While Night Ranger shows that you could still rock in America with their show over at BB King Blues Club. Now, for the rest of the week, I did not see anything on my radar. So, listeners, please, if if I missed anything, drop me a note to the mailbox of the Piercing Metal Facebook, and I will uh, I will pay attention to add that uh, on before the week is over, so everybody knows about it. And as you guys probably already know, there's been some great tours announced. You got Slayer coming up, you got Judas Priest coming up, and Suffocation is going to be going on on tour as well uh, soon, and there's just a whole lot more going on. But anyway, until next time, my dear fiends, I will say follow Piercing Metal over on Facebook and on Twitter, or just check out our Instagram, and I will be back next week with some more exciting news for you all. Cheers. All right, Kenny, Mr. Ken Pierce from PierceandMetal.com, let you know what's going on in the tri-state area this week. See, I'm going to play a song for him. I'm not going to tell you who it is. The album just came out. I got a copy of it. He's a friend of the show. Let me know what you think of the song. Then I'm going to play some Americade, and we'll get Gerard on the line, and we'll get that interview going. How's that sound? Sounds good, man. All right, let me know what you think of this song.
All right, Tay, what do you think of that one? I like it. It was good uh, and, and uh, sort of an anthem. Yeah. Anthem type metal. A little bluesy sounding over there, a little uh, rock oh, and blues oh. mixed in. That's, that's the brand new that's... Quiet Riot. Really? Yeah, wow. Rocket Cheese off the album 10. That's uh, just going to, I think it comes out this week or might have just come out this weekend. I'm not sure. I, I was talking to Frankie Benali before the show. I was trying to get him to call in, but he was about to get on a plane. They're out on tour right now, so we're going to set it up for next month to have him back on again. But uh, it, it sounds nothing like Quiet Riot at all to me. You said, if, well, the is this voice, Quiet Riot? Uh, you know, I mean, the voice has a lot to do with that. Of you know course. I mean? Well, it's Jizzy Pearl is singing with them now. He's the same yeah, with Jizzy the band. Jizzy Pearl, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kevin Dubrow had a unique vocal sound. You knew it was the band, but yeah. even music-wise, it doesn't have any of that Quiet Riot sound to it, but I really dig it. It's just right. some it's good hard rock it's more yeah. straight ahead style, you know, instead of, you know, I, it was not too, uh, you know, tongue in cheek pretentious. It's just. No, you know, absolutely. I like it, you know. And, you know. Yeah, good good metal. Good, and I always love Frankie Strumba. You know, any Italian guy from Brooklyn, Frankie Benalia, yeah. you got to love him, you know? I love him. You got to love him. <laughs> you always had a big drum sound. All right, you know what? Let's get on an American tune. Uh, we'll play a couple of tunes. We'll start out with one, then we'll talk to Gerard, we'll play some more, and we'll wrap up today's show. And then don't forget, next week, next Sunday, Bobby Blitz, Ellsworth, and Overkill, David DeFeast, and Virgin Steel. And don't forget, Thursday, we have the Metal Matinee. I love to tell you what I'm doing, but I don't even remember myself. I'll look it up and find out. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's do something off the first American record, American Metal. They also had a great cover on there for an American band and a really funny video, which I always loved back in the day. Uh, but here's On the Prowl. <laughs>
Man, I love that song in that EP. You know what's great about our next guest, Tommy? Yeah. And he lives yeah. in America. It's real easy to call him up, so let's get him on the phone. <laughs> there we go. See, what a, what a, it's so great. How you doing, brother? Joe, what's going on, buddy? How are you? There we go. See, what a, what a, Oh, you must have you see, it works a lot better them. when you're when when you're when you're in the states, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> so much easier, you know. But I'm glad that we have. You know, I feel like I got a two for one bonus with you. Not only do I have a great guitar playing musician, but I have a famous author too. So it's like the best of both worlds. And and you got a fellow Brooklynite. Don't forget that. That's, and you got a Paisano because I'm half Italian, you know. That's right, and French and Italian. You were from uh, what Ridgewood, that area? I was from Ridgewood. That's right. <laughs> yeah, my wife. Is Where are you there. from in Brooklyn? Where? What part of Brooklyn are you from? I'm from Bensonhurst. My friend Tommy, my partner in crime, was with me on the line. He was from Bensonhurst. He's still from Bensonhurst. Yeah, I hear that funny accent with both of you. Yeah, Yeah, we can't get rid of that no matter how hard we try, you know? I grew up in Sunset Park and then moved up to Bensonhurst around the time that Lamore's opened. Wow. And then we we just lived at Lamore's, so (laughs) we've probably been at every one of your shows at Lamore's. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, you know what? We had the record for the most people in Lemoore's until Twisted's uh, 2000 show came. And what they did is they stuck 49 more people wow. into Lemoore's <laughs> that night so that Twisted could take, could take, the, could take the, the... I'll never forget it because Mike Parenti, the, the, one of the owners, uh, yeah. he, he came to me and says, we, you know, we had to do it with you. They, we made the club $47,000 that night. It was a Tuesday wow. night and it was raining and we made them forty-seven grand. That, that you're talking in the eighties. That that was that was big money. That was uh, eighty uh, eighty three. Yeah, that was a lot of money for back there for a club on, on a weeknight. Yeah, it, it killed us because what what you know what a lot of club owners do is they want to pack the place and they want to they want to sell a lot of booze. So if they have a a, a packed house, they hold the band up. So why yeah. uh, before there was White Lion, there were, uh, oh no wait a minute, let's see, it was Dreamer. Dreamer, so that's Dreamer right. Be- Right, so so uh, my friend Vito from from Dreamer, they were they were our opening act, and um, wow. I still remember because that night Motley Crue was up in um, they were up in Toronto and they ran out of money. They actually did a Canadian tour. I don't know what possessed them to try to go across that infernal country because there's like there's like three rock clubs in three thousand miles, <laughs> and um, they came east and they ran out of money. They had a, a breakdown with their bus or something, and their manager called us and said, "Hey, we you, we know you guys are playing the Moors." Uh, can we get on the on uh, you know can we get on the bill just to make some some money you know really just for gas at this point? Mm. So we, we we try to help him out, but we called Parenti and Parenti was managing Dreamer. So he said, No 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 no, you know uh, my my band opens up and so we almost had a Motley Crue Dreamer uh, Americade show that night. <laughs> that would have been great. I, I know Dreamer. Yeah. I think Lenny Rizzo was singing in Dreamer back then from Explorer. Yes, yes. I don't, you know, I don't. I, I, Vito was really my my pal. I remember the first time I met Vito, we we were booking that show. We went in a couple of days early, and I heard somebody playing uh, Eruption, and uh, wow. I looked up on stage, and it was Vito Brada, yeah. and wow. I, you know, he went over, hey, you know, yeah, I, I love your band, America, this and that. And I was like, hey, what, you know, he was limping that night too. I said, what happened? Oh, I got into an accident or something like that. But uh, what a great guitar player. Awesome I think Mike Tramp had a hissy fit and kicked him in the shin. I think that's what happened. <laughs> they could have been. It could have. My somebody. Somebody needed to kick Mike somewhere else. Is what I think. <laughs> yeah, <but. laughs> 
No, it's right. And one thing about America when you go back to the days, you didn't just like play out every weekend. Your shows were spread out. You made where people wanted to come see you because you didn't constantly play out like on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis. Your shows were kind of spread out and it made people want to see you. Did you think that hurt or helped the band more when you look back on it now? You know what? It was a. It was a. We did it on purpose, and uh, I actually. This is what I came out of a band in '76. Um, not Raven, the heavy metal band, but a band named Raven. And you know, we were just a, a normal club band playing around. We wanted to do things differently. We didn't want to come out as a club act, so we said, you know what, Queen '73. You know, it was Queen '70. You know, the, the big Queen shows. We want to come out with a lot of amps, this and that. We had saved up a lot of money, me and my brother. And so we try to do it a different way. I think in a lot of ways, there was advantages and disadvantages. Every show was was a big show, but I don't think we grew the band organically enough. And I think that affects the the, the material. I think it affects the the uh, uh, the proficiency of the band too. I think a band, uh, I think a rock band needs to play a lot yeah. out, not not rehearsing, not practicing. Or you know, you need to play out. So I think America was hurt by that. Yeah, well, you and your brother, did you play together, I mean, on and off, even like as young kids before the band started? Were you guys always like together playing, or was it just this band that brought you together as, you know, musicians in a band? No, 76, my brother was, my brother and I were around in 76, and we were playing in wedding bands, and my, my first my first show was uh, was a stripper bar on Queens Boulevard, Lucky's, uh, Grace's Lucky Lounge, I'll never forget it, I was about 13 or 14, I used to play bass. <laughs> and um you know we we were just doing it for money i mean I, there was a bunch of musicians in in uh queens and brooklyn that were playing around for money uh, that band broke up in 78 and i was kind of done with bands and my brother just came to me and says hey why don't we do an original band rock band and so we actually came out with a fusion rock band that had horns and it was, wow. was kind of like chicago in 78 uh, and we had Jay Cucurulo, Warren Cucurulo from Duran Duran's brother uh, was our drummer, and uh, Frank Antico. For, uh, we played with Jaco Pastor, so we had some great players in the band. And then, and then Van Halen came out in '78, and that was and it. it. Yeah, it changed because I saw four guys go up on stage and they were having a great time. And I said, Hey, Peach, you know, bringing eight guys up on stage, it, this is as, this is as boring to me as what we were doing when we were doing a copy band. And, you know, I, I, I had a lot of rage issues, which I think uh, is why 99.9% of uh, metalers became metalers, you know. And yeah. I said, you know, let's, let's do some heavier stuff. The problem was I was the bass player. And so we got picked up by Lieber Krebs Management, by uh, Lou Levin from Lieber Krebs. And he said, uh, you can't be on bass. And I said, what do you mean? I said, it's what I play. He says, you yeah. need to be the guitar player. You're a front man. So I, that, that's when we auditioned and we ultimately got Walt and Nikki Sedano from um, – from Rachel, where, you know, Red Forest used to be in that band. I remember them, yeah. And, um, yeah, and we put out that first album. And um, we, we put out the first album on our own, and, and that's, that's how America got started. It's amazing. But if I remember, you and your brother actually play the horns. You play trumpet or something? You, got, you guys both play uh, horn instruments, yeah. don't you? Yeah, we, 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 were, we were classically trained uh, trumpet players. Trumpet, and, you know, okay. Ridgewood is a, poor, is a poor neighborhood, and uh, we couldn't afford instruments. Not anymore. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know, I hear a lot of people telling me that's because of its proximity to Manhattan, you know. Yeah. But it used to be an immigrant neighborhood, and, uh, you know, we, we were we were um, basically a poor family, and uh, we couldn't afford instruments. And the drum corps, you know, Catholic schools had drum corps, and we went into a drum corps, and they put our first instruments. They were bugles, and that's why, that's why we started on bugles, you know. Wow. I moved over to bass because I loved the bass when I was playing. Uh, I, was, I was doing actually TV commercials when I was 13 on trumpet. 
And then I moved over and I was like, you know what? I love, 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 love the bass. So I bought myself a uh, a P bass and uh, I became the the bass player. And then when Lou told me I had to move over to, to guitar, I was like, I can't believe this. You know, we, you know, it took me a, a couple, it took me some years to to get good enough on the, on the bass. And I was I I'm a pretty good bass player. And I was a little nervous because, you know, I heard Eddie and, um, you know, that, that kind of, Eddie Van Halen kind of changed things. It, it, it moved sure. the bar up. And um, so, you know, it, it, was, it was a challenge. And I think my, my playing, you can hear that the, the playing on the early stuff is challenging. I was only, I, that American metal that you played, I, I was only playing guitar six months. I didn't know. It was, that's really, there's no time at all. That's incredible. Yeah, and and you know I regret things like that, Mike, because you know I was a young kid. I, I was only 16 years old uh, playing that stuff and uh, writing that stuff. I became the writer because I was the guitar, you know, I was the guitar player. So my brother wasn't the writer anymore. I became the writer. So it, it you know it takes that's the kind of thing when you look back you say it, it takes years to cultivate. You know, you want to write stuff like the Scorpions or, or Sabbath. You know, those guys, that, that, those bands are out and they're playing, and that. That refines a band, and it gives a band uh, cohesiveness and a sound, you know. Yeah. I'm not knocking Americade. Americade, when it came out, we, we, we were trying to do it, but it was, it, was like a, it was like a Bronco that was out of control. That's, that's yeah. the way I look at it, of, of yeah, Americade it back hard. in 81. It was hard in the beginning. Like I said, you're only playing guitar six months at the time when the first album came out. Was it harder to learn how to play guitar or squeeze into those white shorts you wore in the video? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true, man. <laughs> You know, I didn't know what, I don't know, you know, I, I, I remember watching the, uh, the Rush documentary when they went into their Japanese mode, and I remember you know, they had the documentary, and you hear Getty talking about, they didn't know what the hell they were doing, and that was freaking Rush. So imagine yeah. us knuckleheads from freaking, you know, New York and, and yeah. uh, New Jersey. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Walt, Walt Woodward was the rock star of the band, and Nicky ended up leaving the band. Which, oddly enough, I just talked to him today. Nick is now a sound man for Metallica and for all these big bands. Wow. Uh, he actually lives in Las Vegas. So imagine 30 years later, I find out the bass player played with an 81. Two American guys are living in Las Vegas now. That's so it's funny. Kind of, you know, can't make that up. But anyway, mm-hmm. Walt was the rock star, and he was the guy that was saying, hey, you know, this is what you've got to wear. And so Walt was really the guy that, that kind of dressed us. And, uh, you know, I was yeah. the American flag. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that a few times. The red, white, well, he's and blue, got the, the American flag. I mean, Will passed away some years back, but he had the hair back in the day. That's all that mattered. He had that long blonde hair. Yeah, Walt was Walt. When Walt got our gig, he we uh, he also got Twisted Sister. So he so Twisted offered him the gig, yeah. and he passed on Twisted to join Americade. So I always, wow. you know, that always mattered to me that Americade didn't get out there because Walt was born and bred to be a rock star. You know, he was like yeah. one of those guys. That should have been a rock star. He was a rock star in his own mind, and and he, he you know he I, I I like I when the band broke up I didn't even actually feel as bad for me as I felt for Walt. You know, <laughs> it's really it's crazy. It's a crazy thing, but I I, I really I felt I always felt, and we maintained our, our friendship all the way until we passed. Yeah, so. well you know like you said Nick Nick left the band and you brought Dan Spitz into the group. Was Dan brought into the band just to make you guys look taller, or was it because he was a good well, player? No, well, not Danny Spitz. Danny Danny's the founder of Anthrax. Dave Spitz, his older brother. Yeah, that's, oh, I said Dan. I'm sorry. I meant to say Dave. Dave played bass. Yeah, yeah, no. Dan, Dan, Dave. I meant to say Dave. Well, Dan Spitz was the way Dave got in the band. When, we, when Nicky quit the band, Walt went down to, to Lemoore's to spread the word because that's the way you did it back then, of, you know, to yeah. get another musician. And we needed somebody because we just spent, you know, $20,000, $30,000 on that American Metal album, and now Nick 
and Nick had written some of the music, so we had some legal issues there. So we had to retract the album and get it out to start making some money. So Walt went down to Lemoore's, and who does he run into? He runs into Dan Spitz. Dan used to play for a uh, band, uh, Overkill, at the time. That's right. And um, he just says, hey, man, just spread the word. We're looking for a bass player. He goes, my brother. And he goes, who's your brother? I didn't even know you had a brother. He's like, yeah, he's up in uh, Rochester. He's in a band called uh, Freeway. And so that's how Dave, Dave came down uh, within two days and played about five notes, and we knew right away. He lied about everything. You know, we said, we, we, you got to sing backgrounds. Yeah, I sing backgrounds. You hear, I mean, if you ever hear Dave Spitz's voice, he, he sounds like, he, you know, he's like this, you know, he's like really yeah. down like this. So it didn't matter, though, because he was such a great player, and he was such a great guy that we, we said, that's it. And, and we went in there and we retracked a couple of songs, and, we, and um, that's the American Metal that's out. Yeah, Dave. When you took his picture for the album cover, did you have to make him stand on a milk crate so he would fit into the frame? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, too. Is Dave had a Fu Manchu mustache when he, when he came down for the <laughs> rehearsal, right? For the audition or whatever. So he comes down, and of course, Walt. If you knew Walt Woodward, anybody out there that's, that may be listening that knows Walt, knows he's capable of doing this. He literally just disappears, doesn't say a word to the guy. And he comes back, he goes into my bathroom, and comes down with a, with a razor. And he goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, we don't allow facial hair in this band. So my brother and I are like, we don't? <laughs> and Walt, and Walt, so, so Dave's going, well, uh, well you know, I, I guess I can trim it. Uh, I can, uh, and Walt just walks over, sprays shaving cream, and shaves half of his mustache off. So the picture, if you see, that picture was like literally taken like two hours after Dave lost his, uh, lost his mustachio. <laughs> that's funny oh man yeah then, you know, yep. the first time i mean i used to be a big demo trade uh, tape trader back in the 80s you know that's how you got you, you came across bands people trade demo tapes and live shows and i think it was 80 you know one thing about america is nobody can tell what the hell the the album lineup is because you, know, you had the american metal out there like in the 90s you put com. But there were so many other albums out there that uh, they're probably just stuff that's been made up by record companies or, you know, people threw stuff together on their own. But I remember getting a demo tape by you guys. It had to be around 82, maybe 83, if that was even legit, with uh, Waiting for My Time or Running Scared, I think, were the songs on there. Was that like a wow. real Wow. If you still have that, I would love to have it. I have um, it. That... I'll make your copy. Yeah, because that, believe it or not, it's true. Uh, when, when you think of pirating, pirating happens the most when people want to hear something, they're curious about something, but they can't get it. And especially in those days, that thing that you're holding was actually recorded in my garage. That wow. was just me at f- uh, 15 or 16 years old, just throwing a, a mic up uh, and basically saying, let's just try to track this stuff. And that's ultimately how we got Lou Levin. He, was, he listened to it and uh, he, he was doing Michael Shanker and uh, he had all these, you know, they had Aerosmith, they had uh, all these huge bands and he's listening to this gritty, heavy metal stuff. And he says, what is this? <laughs> but he, he says, it's so dark. It's the running scared. Running scared became like a cult classic. I, I still get asked about it and I don't have a copy of it. I don't have a copy of Running Scared myself. I have so I'd love to have that copy. Right after we hang up, and when the show's over, I'll, I'll put it on a file and I'll send it to you right after the show. You'll have it as soon as we're done talking. That's fantastic. That 81, 82 thing, that's, uh, that was, no, we, we recorded the first album in 83. Anything that you had be- before that um, was with the original band with, with uh, Jay Cucurulo. That was a different Americade, uh, and that, that goes back to 79 and 80. That oh, stuff wow. is different than the, than the Waltz. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there, there's, there's, and, you know, there's, I don't know if you know Retrospect Records. Yeah, they put out um, a whole bunch of albums. They put out a whole box set, I believe. 
By your well, wife. Aaron and Dan. Oh, uh, I forget their, their name. Because uh, uh, Stan and somebody McCaslin, the twin brothers, and good guys. They live in town. Well, they were pirating Americade for a long time. Aaron calls me up and says, "Gee, can I come to talk to you?" You know, I was like, "Yeah, sure." So he comes. He says, "I got a confession to make. I've been making money off of Americade for the last decade, pirating you guys." I said, "Well, good for you." You know. So he says, no, I feel bad for him. He's a Christian guy. And he says, you know, I feel bad. You know, uh, he says, I've been looking for you to try to sign you to a record deal. I said, a record deal? Nowadays, what, are you kidding me? He says, no, I, I'm, I'm serious. So he gave me a record contract, and he says, I will put out anything, any tape you have of Americade. So I, I just handed him a shoebox of stuff, and I said, listen, if you can make this stuff sound, I mean, it's on cassette, some of it. I said, if you can make it sound good, you know, I know we get, you know, the original album sold 47,000 copies, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in 81 on your own regular, it was a lot of yeah. albums, you know. Uh, of course, I think we got paid for three of them, you know, but, uh, you know, that was the way it was back then. But, you know, after that, everything else has been bootlegged. And uh, that whole Americadence, he put out a 30-year box set, That all of that stuff was just what Danny uh, put together from what I handed him, you know, okay. including so you the Mark White stuff. But that came from you, so you did it. Because, like, I remember, I'm looking when I see First Cut, then I see Rock Hard, Heroes at Back. I'm like, where the hell did all this American stuff come from all of a sudden? It's like coming out of the woodwork. And then I yeah, started yeah, I was like, wow, look at this. All right, so the band puts out American Metal. We go back in and into the studio. We were going to actually do a tour of the Midwest when somebody came up with the idea of let's do our second album, which was going to be called Rock Hard. So we called up uh, Tom Worman because he was producing, I think, Crew at the I think he was producing Molly Crew at the time. So we called him up and we said, hey, we want to put out a second album. We're a pretty decent-sized band now in, in New York area. And he's like, great, come on out to L.A. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. We're a New York band. <laughs> we, were, we recorded yeah. in New York. We, we got with some New York, you know, back then it was a different sound to the West Coast and the East Coast bands. You know? Absolutely, yeah. And we were kind of, so he said, I don't travel. I, I record here. So we get off the phone. He says, all right, so Worman's out. So who are we going to call? So my brother and I, huge Kansas fans. Said, who, uh, let's call that guy Jeff Glixman. So we okay. called Glixman, and he was doing Saxon and Gary Moore. He was in uh, London at the time. And we said, hey, we want to record an album. Would you record it in New York? He said, oh, I love New York, man. If you know Jeff, he's just a funny guy. Sell you, he could sell you your, the shoes on your feet. He could resell them to you. So you ah, oh, yeah, man, I love it. I love New York. I'm going to fly in. He flies in two days later. We talk, and we do some, uh, some pre-production. He goes, you know, i got a studio in Atlanta. It's where it's where Left Overture was recorded and and Point of No Return. You'd be interested. It's like yeah, okay, and that's what we did. We ended up recording the second album down there. Uh, got John Kaladner from Geffen Records interested, and then the band fell apart while we were down there. And uh, oh, wow. by the time we came back to New York, that was '84. Um, there was uh, like a day after we all drove back, or however we got back. Um, I just called the meeting and I said, listen. You know, my brother and I don't want to do this anymore, which was bad. I, I, I still have a lot of guilt about that because Walt and Dave, you know, they were kind of caught off guard. Um, but there were some things that I won't go into that a uh, personal problem with one of the with one of the band members at the time. Yeah. And uh, we just didn't feel that we could go. We were in two different directions uh, personally, not musically, but personally. So a lot That's of wasted money, a lot of wasted time, you know. 
it's a shame because, you know, people really pegged you guys as the next Van Halen back in the day. And, and like you were saying earlier, like, you know, you come from a working class family in Brooklyn. You know, you were street guys back then. I remember people just say, oh, they're a bunch of rich kids. They, they got the money behind them. They didn't pay their dues. I'm like, why does someone have to struggle <laughs> to have to pay their dues? And you didn't have the money behind you like it just was given to you. People work for that money to put it up. And you guys probably laid out a lot of your own money and your family's money. We laid out the, the first money that we laid out was we we my brother and I had about fifty grand. I heard the rich kid thing and I can understand it too. You, you know what gets me though is my father made eighty seven hundred dollars a year until nineteen sixty seven. I was born in a tenement in a tenement apartment on Stockholm Street between Seneca and, and um, uh, Cypress Avenue. So if you want to go to my upbringing until I was sixteen years old, I slept on a sofa bed that you used to fold out with my brother. <laughs> Okay, so I had a PV 100-watt amp with two 15 bottoms, my P base, the clothes on my back, and I slept with my brother. After that, my dad did make money. He owned a factory in, in Canarsie, and um, we came to my father. I quit high school, and my father was an old Marine, and he says, listen, I don't want you quitting high school unless this is going to be a business. And so I showed my, I drew up a business plan with my, you know, m- you know writing it out, not even typing yeah. it. And I handed it to him, you know, not a, I'm not a stupid guy. And he looked at it and he said, uh, if you think you can do this, I'll, I'll, um, I'll help support it. I'll, I'll be an investor in it. And so that's how the, the money thing got there. And I, I can see why people say what they say, because they'd see the band and then I had 20 cabinets. And who comes out out of nowhere? And all of a sudden you got 20 cabinets uh, and this and that and the other thing. I mean, some people, are just, honestly, I never hurt. I never knock anybody, you know, for, for, for what they have. Um, we put it all on the line, and we lost it all. So, yeah. you know, all I can tell to all those people that are disgruntled about, I, I, I know that they had us as rich French kids. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're rich Brooklyn kids, if you want to really know. I guess we're not rich because we, don't have, we didn't have any money up until uh, uh, the year of 83. We put a lot of money into the band, and we lost it all. Why should that, you why make, should that matter? You said you could tell you tell me one of those bands back in the day that were just starting out didn't have money offered to them they wouldn't take it they would all take it you worked for your money you were able to do it because your father worked to get to where he was to help you guys out why would why would anybody hold that against it it's more jealousy than anything else back in the day because you were able to do it and they couldn't but it makes no sense to me why would anybody want to see somebody not succeed when somebody makes it it just helps everybody else out along the line especially when you're in the same scene. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go right into what I was telling you before. Where, that I'm a writer now, and I'm writing uh, the, the bass player that that was in the band in in '88 and '90, Greg Smith, who's my, uh, I think the closest guy that I've been into in in all the music business is Greg Smith, greatest guy in the world. Anyway, he was talking about that there is a jealousy inherent to Long Island. It's hard to explain unless you were in a band back in those days. And he really pointed it out when I was when I was uh, uh, you know you know interviewing him for the book. He was talking about it in great detail about how the, there was a lot of jealousy, and it wasn't in a lot of different scenes. It wasn't really like that in L.A. and in in, in other cities, but in Long Island, it was bad. Yeah. And you know, it was very competitive too. But again, man, I don't I don't knock it because heavy metal was always supposed to be. Uh, it was kind of rage against you know, the, the system kind of thing. And I think that that's another reason why I think we shouldn't have came out the way we did, because we gave the impression that we, we shouldn't have given the impression that we were rich kids, but we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have given that out there. We should have just let people know that, Hey, the first money that was spent was all the money that me and my brother made playing titty bars for three years. Yeah. So, 
you know, I, I, I made a lot of I made more money than half of those guys that were in, in Twisted and Zebra and all the other bands before I was 14 years old. I was already a, a, a known musician, a made musician play, in the record plant working at Howard Schwartz Studio doing TV commercials. I took every penny I had and put it into AmeriCade and lost it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, that, that but, later on. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up because I haven't really even I, – I told you, I, I have not gone on and talked about AmeriCade uh, since the band really broke up in 84. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that, that always kind of stuck on me. And then the worst thing in the world was that we disappeared. So when you disappear and then this Internet thing came out, it allowed every Tom and Dick to come out, oh. and I mean Dick. I know. <laughs> to come out and say every freaking bad thing. And all they're doing is copy and paste, and nobody contacted me, my brother, <laughs> Wall State. And all they did, oh, American flag would play, oh, yeah, the French people. I, they had me in Alice in Chains. One guy said I died of AIDS because I had cancer in 96. And I'm saying, right, yeah. I, I finally got so pissed off, I called them. I started calling every single one in Sweden and Belgium and <laughs> Germany. And these freaking guys, they're standing there, you know, because, you know, they live down their mama's basement, you know, yeah. and, 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 and they're out there. And I says, hey, are you uh, Lutz Greinfeld from Metal Whatever? Yeah, yeah. Who, oh, who's this? I said, this is Gerard DeMarie from America. Remember me? The guy that wears the American flag? Because I, I should have words with you right now. Yeah. And that's how, that's how we went. I, I, I literally called them, and, I, and then I started to notice, you know what? Maybe it was a dumb thing that we came off the because we're allowing everybody else to say whatever they want. And I, I've changed that in the last three years because i got about that's a quarter good. of a million people following me now, and now I get to say what I want to say. So that's right. Well, being, everybody's being entitled a well-known to author, That's right. But you're a well-known author today, and that helps out. That's true. Everybody with the keyboard today is like a warrior. They all have, they're all really vocal on that keyboard, typing stuff down, but you don't know who they are, where to get to. And like I said, we never badmouth anybody around there for what they do. We make jokes. We have fun. But, you know, when you put your heart and soul into something, that means a lot. And I guess if you've if you're still with the music for the last 20, 30 years, you would kind of get thicker skin and get used to it. But it has to be heard for people write stuff that you put your time and effort into, your money, your soul. Like, and they just slag it. I'm like, why? It's such great music. And they don't get that. And, you see, I, I respect you because you understand the scene. You understand where, met, where we originally come from. I'm talking about the original breed. Uh, uh, the guy that you had on before, you know, the, with the punk and the, and the heavy metal, he goes back to 77, 78. You, you have to understand where we came from. Heavy metal, all, when, we, when America came out in, in 81, the reemergence of America in 81, it was all new wave. The New York, new York was, a, was not a heavy metal town. It was a, a new wave town. Yep. So there was, there was the, the new wave of British heavy metal that was out there, and that's why we put out tongue-in-cheek, you know, you're a Brooklyn guy, I'm a Brooklyn guy. We're irreverent people. We got a sense of humor. We put out American metal as an answer to the new wave of British heavy metal. That's why we yeah. named the album American Metal, because we were saying, hey, listen, you know, enough with these guys. You know, the, 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 the bands over there are awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Love all of them. All right. But it was about time that somebody, you know, didn't cut their hair funny and, di and die, you know, and diet green with the, the, like the new wave kind of stuff. We wanted to come out with a gritty New York sounding band, and that and that that that's that's really was what America was all about, you know. And it was great stuff. And, and like you said, you know, back then there wasn't a lot of press or attention given to bands anywhere, like you know, in, in the public eye. So you didn't know, like when you broke up, a lot of people didn't even know it in the scene until they realized, like, a, some time went by when you see you guys playing live, and then you heard the rumors because there was no magazines writing about this stuff. But in the late '80s, you, you put it back together again, and but you did it without your brother the second time, right? Yeah, uh, after the band breaks up in 84, I, take, I, I go into Lulavin's office and I says, hey, band's over with. He's not too happy because a lot of, like you say, a lot more people than people know 
had a lot of money invested, money and time. And that's why I said I was a, I was a young guy, and I, 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 made, I made some bad decisions, I think. Uh, but my life was, you know, kind of, I didn't know what was going on. So bottom line, uh, I, I asked for a year off. I never forget it. I said, you know, just a year to get my, my head straight. He goes, gee, you take a week off. I got somebody younger and better than you that wants your gig. So I'm putting you on a plane. You're flying out to Redondo Beach. You're going to record with Michael Barrickman. From, uh, uh, he was doing the Scorpions at the time. And I said, record what? What do you want me to record? I just came back from, I just came back from Atlanta. We spent months down there. He says, no, we're going we're gonna to put you out. We're going we're gonna to do something like uh, maybe we'll put you out in a, as a single artist. I said, I'm not a singer. So we, I had a lot of words with him. Bottom line, a couple months pass, and I get a call from the, the producer of the first album, and he says, hey, I'm doing a movie over at Kaufman Astoria Movie Studios. Would you like to do the music? We need a rock, we need a, a, a rock musician to, to do the music. So I went over there, and who do I run into? Dave Spitz. I go, I go over there, right? I'm, I'm in the studio at Kaufman Astoria Movie Studios, and I got a lot of time on my hands because uh, the two producers uh, were, weren't there a lot. So they're paying me a lot of money, but nobody, we're not doing music. So I start walking down the thing, and I see Tom Hanks is doing this movie, The Money Pit. And I hear, I hear a heavy metal band, and it sounds like White Lion. I walk into the, to the set, and I see my former bass player from just three months ago, six months ago, whatever the hell it was, broken up. I see Dave getting a manicure by, like, the, the, the makeup people. <laughs> I says, what the hell are you, my first words of I said, what the hell are you doing here? So, hey, gee, what are you doing, man? I says, I'm recording in the, the, in the sound studio. What the hell, are you in this movie? He goes, yeah. He goes, I, I, got, I got news for you. Um, I said, you're in White Lion now, right? And he says, yeah. He says, oh, you know, Vito, good for you. you know, he goes, no, 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 I'm out. I said, what do you mean you're out? You guys are going to do Japanese tour. He says, no, Jeff Glicksman called me. Black Sabbath had an opening. I'm jumping. I said, wow. did you tell these guys? He said, well, n- not, not really. It's, you know, I'm, I'm just making my – I said, Dave, they got, a lot of, they got a lot of money and time invested in this. You know, you could hurt them if you, you got to give them some time, you know, uh, to replace you. And so, bottom line, he did. He did. He did the right thing. And White Lion came out. And, you know, they. They. I think they were hurt to, to lose Dave. But you know, if you get an offer to, to join Black Sabbath, how can you? Yeah. You, you, that, you, you, know? you can't pass that up, no matter what. Even though it didn't work out anyway, in the end, you still can't. Pass that, that didn't up. work out anyway. But I had one of my ultimate friends, Ray Gillen, another guy that passed that uh, that was singing uh, for the band, and uh, Eric Singer, another friend of mine. Uh, so it was a great. It was actually a great band. It's just you know, unfortunately, nobody. When you, you think of Black Sabbath, you want to hear Black Sabbath. You don't want to hear the the, the other guys. You know, but. Yeah. Now, moving to what you're talking about, yeah, my brother gave me, uh, well, 88 comes, and I want to do another Americade. My brother can't do it. i got to look for another singer. I do a little bit of auditioning, and I come across this kid from this band, Malice, uh, named Mark Mark White. And Mark blew me away. He sent me a demo tape, and I had 50 or 60 demo tapes, and I put them all away. I had Mike Terrell. I had some great singers from, from the New York area. Uh, and I put him all away when I heard Mark. I said, I, I, I paid for him. I, I flew him to, to New York, and we, we tried to get the band going. We had Greg Smith, and that was Walt for a while. Walt was in, um, Walt was in a band. Uh, I forget which one. I think it was before The Scream. But uh, So we had him, and then we got this guy, Paul Camerata, from, remember uh, Michael Anthony? Yeah, yeah. Remember? So he was in Michael Anthony's band. He's, a, he's from Baltimore. He's a good drummer. 
And uh, we started doing it. I brought it back to Lewis. Lewis loved it. And we just, it was, the, the scene was going away at 88, 89. Grunge was coming in. And the scene was going away from heavy metal. And um, I saw it. And, you know, I just said, we're going to be, you know, shoveling crap against the wind here if, uh, if we think we're going to get, you know, some traction, 88, 89, 90. But it, it, now you listen to Alter Bridge. And you can see where, as a matter of fact, I'm still talking to Mark, and we may jump in the studio and do something because uh, before there was Alter Bridge, there was Mark White. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's that it's that kind of vibe, you know. Yeah, very true. Well, you know, was the band actually together then when Americade.com came out? Or was that an after, you know after the band had broken up again? Americade.com comes around. That's '95. My brother, my brother sees the '88 to '90 stuff that we did with Mark and absolutely loved it. He loved Mark White's. Uh, and, and just loved it and wanted to do something. And he, and he was living in Texas at the, uh, when we were doing that stuff in 90. 95, he moves back to New York, and he says, hey, I'm going to do Americade again. Are you, are you interested? And I was like, Peach, put it to bed, man. You know, it, some bands were just not meant to be. Uh, Americade was just one of those things that it just – at that point, I was like, uh, I don't, just leave it alone. And he said, well, I'm going to do it with it without you. So I was like, all right, well, you know, do, do well. And um, – He's my older brother, of course, so that, that lasted about two seconds. He's like, okay, first thing, who should I use for producing? Who should I use for engineering? Can I hire you for the guitar? Can I hire you for this? I yeah. said, you, you know, all right, so I guess I'm doing this thing for you. So I go in there, and I says, Peach, he goes, why don't we get the musicians? Get the musicians right. I said, you can't, it's not like the old days. At that time, in 95, it's like, I can't let grab Greg. Greg Smith, uh, I think at the time, may have been in, he was in Alice Cooper. He was in Blue Oyster Cult. You know, these guys are working. Everybody's working now. So I said, you know, let me track everything. I'll, do, I'll track everything for you. And then if you like the sound of the song, because he wrote all those songs, except for Girl. He wrote all those songs. Uh, I said, if you like it, then, then you know, let's, we'll, we'll shop that around. And uh, ended up he wanted to put it out on the Internet, whatever the hell that was. So he named the album.com. You know, my brother yeah. was always smart that way. Like, he always had these ideas that were like, what planet are you from, you know? Like, he was way ahead of pe normal human beings, you know? But it was uh, ultimately, he was way too ahead again, you know? But so I always said that's that. That's how said, no, came dot com, 1985. I said, this is like a brand new thing. Like, it's going to capitalize on I'm like, you know, it was over a decade between that and American Metal, and it was such a different-sounding band on com. I mean... Yeah. I think of a hundredth, you know, a hundredth uh, monkey phenomenon and all the songs on there. Girl, much different sound than anything you did in the past. I mean, you guys went a whole new direction. I felt on this album. Absolutely, that's my brother's writing, except for Girl, which we actually uh, I wrote it in '87, and and Mark actually uh, did the the demo of uh, the original demo uh, uh, of Girl, which I think even my brother will uh, agree is probably the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and, and all the if you have those four songs, I sent you one of the songs. We did a four song demo. That's all we ever did with Mark White's as far as taping. And um, we we did it in Manhattan for cigarette money. First takes, man. First takes. We're going back. That's like a throwback to the '70s when you'd stick a mic in a, in a singer's hand. Yeah. He didn't. He was reading the lyrics off of a spiral notebook paper. And listen to that. I defy anybody in heavy metal to sing that, to sing those songs the way Mark White sang those songs. It, I was standing there, and you know when you, you hold your hair, you, you hold your hair over your head. My hair was standing straight. straight. I looked like Don King when I when this kid was singing. 
I was I had the producer that I had recorded a lot of music with in the city, and he goes, "Who the hell is this kid?" I said, "I have no friggin' clue. He's my bandmate, but this kid is a, he's a, he's a he's a freak of nature, and and uh, I I you know just." Now going all the way, you know to nowadays, that's why I I, I still prod Mark uh, to say, hey man, you should have been out. I'm the guy to write the music for you and and get this thing out. Me and you are rock brothers. We should do it. But anyway, that that's what that's what it was. I, Greg Smith actually stopped in from Alice Cooper and he played bass on those demo tracks. Um, but I'm telling you, it was done in five minutes. All four of those songs were put down in the time it, that you listened to them. You know. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes when you do it quickly like that, it comes out. I never heard those tunes until you sent me that one song. I played it before the show. I'm going to get it on after we're done talking. Uh, but like, I think sometimes the best stuff you do is when you just, like, you know, just bang it out in the spot and it's more spontaneous than like when you kind of work, work on something over and over again. And it really has that, that live vibe to it, that song. And you can hear it. People hear You're it absolutely right. You're stuff. absolutely right. And, and, and heavy metal, when you're talking about that stuff from 82, heavy metal should be raw. And that's why I said, if I knew now what I, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I would have, I would have kept it dirty, dark, and raw. Because the rage stuff, the stuff that I wrote out of, out of um, the original stuff from Americade, some of it wasn't even recorded. That was the stuff that was really what I wanted to do. And then we started getting in when, you know, when you heard California Rhythm and you heard some of the stuff that came off of the American Metal. Yeah, I wrote those songs. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, that, that's, those are the kind of things that we, we should have played 100 more gigs. We would have done California Rhythm. I would have gotten tired of the song. And I would have passed it out. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have made an album. Uh, whereas, you know, because we didn't play that much, you know, we went with the, the 15 or 16 songs that we had in the set. So that that would be, you know, I mean, I, I I would pass that on to kids nowadays, but I don't know what kids nowadays do. <laughs> so yeah, who knows? It's, it's a whole. Different I'm producing reason. my son now. My I have four sons now, and they're all great musicians, and uh, so I'm I'm producing them, and they're they're going to be far surpassed, Daddy, on uh, on stuff because they have it. They have their mind together. They're more focused. I wasn't as, I wasn't focused enough, you know. Well, they have you to guide them because you've kind of been through there and done that. So that's a big help, too, that, you know, you've, you've done this already. So you kind of like can steer them away from the bad stuff and keep them going on the right track. Exactly right. So we, they go on, they go on uh, MTV or uh, uh, not MTV, YouTube, and they see that we won Best New Video in 1983 on MTV with that We're an American Band. American right? Band, yeah. So we do this We're an American Band. What heavy metal band in 1982-83 is doing videos unless you were a big band? Nobody. Nobody was doing them. So we, I don't know who came, again, I don't know who came up with the idea. It's probably my brother. And we go down to Philadelphia, and they rent the Spectrum uh, when it was there. And we, we do this, we're an American band, and um, we don't even have MTV in Brooklyn. So I get a call from Lou Levin saying, hey, on 4th of July, 1983, congratulations. Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac just uh, gave you the award. You guys didn't even show up. I said, show up for what? They said, you won the MTV. You won the best new video for heavy metal band. I said, you I don't did. Cable. <laughs> I don't even. Well, yeah, you. If you remember in Brooklyn, we didn't. Even, you know, we were like the last to get like MTV and cable. You know, I. I think we had HBO or something. You know. We had, we had HBO so. antenna you could buy for your roof, or they had WHT, or Mecca Home Theater. Well, Mecca Home Theater with that big box, and we were on both of them. We used to be on Video Jukebox on HBO, and we were on some kind of music thing on on WHT. But MTV we didn't get, and uh, it was only about eight and a half million people at the time that were that were actually subscribed to it. 
that's but anyway, so that, right? You know, it, it became a much it, you wouldn't. Sure. It, it became a much bigger thing uh, after that. But in '83, nobody really knew what MTV was. I don't even. I don't honestly. I don't even know how our video even ended up on MTV. I don't know who put it out and how it got there and who voted on it. But that's what that's what happened. So that's yeah, the, it goes that like it went down. I moved out of Brooklyn in 89 to Staten Island. I actually moved to Queens for a few months. That's where my wife, my wife was living before we got married. And we never had cable in Brooklyn. So we went to Queens. She had cable there. I was like, you guys have cable here? I was like, I didn't even care about her anymore. I still went up for the cable. That's right. That's, hey, that's, that's just the way. You know, a, a Lots of stuff changed right after Americade. And uh, I'm very proud of the band because I told you I'm writing two rock memoirs. One of is uh, one of the founders of Anthrax, uh, Dan Spitz, uh, hopefully – uh, we'll get that thing out there at some point. It's 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 up to Danny. We've already started work on it. But Dan gave me a big honor uh, with it when he said there there was like a small chapter devoted to Americade. And one of the things that shaped Anthrax was Americade from Danny's perspective. Remember, Anthrax was around with with Scott before Danny came, but they were nothing until Danny came. So when Danny came in there, he goes, hey, my brother's in this band Americade. And they got this big show going on, and they do everything big. We got to be big. And he goes into it in the book of how what kind of influence we had. And I remember back in the Amer- in, in 80, uh, 83, the Anthrax guys used to show up to our rehearsals. And when we put our when we would take a break, they would come over and say, "Hey, you mind if you know we just you know jam a little bit?" It's no, go ahead. And so they would get so they would pick up our instruments. And uh, and I, I I'm not some of the guys were from Overkill too from Danny's old band, and they would come and they'd start playing on the prowl Anthrax style like fast faster metal, so it was it was very cool stuff man that we felt I, I I was I was very humbled that that Danny said you know that, that you know Anthrax sold what eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen million albums they were they founded a, a speed metal kind of sound you know one of the founders. Sure. So I, I, I'm, I'm kind of happy to feel that, you know, uh, you know, we had some kind of influence on um, – a, a positive influence on a, on a band that's a legend now, you know. You did. You were a great band who I, to, today I still love. I only have five minutes left in the show, man. You've got to call back again in one time. Maybe when the books come out, we'll talk about that. We'll promote that. And we'll give you the whole two hours, man, because I could talk to you forever because you've got so many – anytime you get somebody from Brooklyn, you could talk forever. It's like two old friends. It doesn't matter if you never even talked before. That's right, and I tell you what, we're more entertaining than, than uh, most of anybody that you're going to put on there because Brooklynites were natural-born entertainers. This is what you're going to do, though, Mike. You've got to have Greg Smith on. I'm going to talk to him. He's, 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 te- he's in Ted Nugent's band now. Okay. And um, Thunder, the name of the book is Thunder, and it's going to be out in September. Greg has been a member of 20 of the biggest heavy metal and rock bands in history. All right, Absolutely. so he's a member of Rainbow and Alice Cooper and, and Wendy o. Williams, and I, you can go on and on and on and on. You have to have him on. He's one of the funniest guys in the world. He's the greatest, one of the greatest bass players in rock history, period. And um, so if you want to have some fun, too, you, 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 maybe you I, bring I, us I, both on. Or, you, know, you know what? When the book comes out in September, I'll reach out to you. Uh, try to work out a date with him that'll work for all of us, and we'll do, we'll just do the whole two-hour show. That's all we'll do. That just sounds good because he'll be off tour. He's he's with uh, he started the tour now uh, with Ted. He'll be off like by September. That sounds great. But Jerome, I, mean, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, man. It's been a thrill hearing all these old great American stories and everything, and talking about Brooklyn. And I'm gonna get that demo tape to you after we hang up, and let me know if everything on there is legit or if somebody just threw that stuff together. <laughs> 
That sounds good. I, I, I'm dying to hear. I haven't heard that stuff in a very long time, so I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks I'm so much. I'm going to send it out to you. Hey, Gerard, thank you very much, man. The best of luck with everything. And where can people find you on the internet to check it out? Because you have a lot of books out there. Where can they find you to see what you're up to now and, and keep in touch? They can go to it's – a, it's, a, it's not an easy name to spell, but it's GerardDemarini.com. Just type anything that sounds like that, and you'll see GerardDemarini.com will come up. <laughs> and check on Amazon. So I have seven novels out there, and um, if you like action thrillers, like a Tom Clancy type of action thriller, that's what the Chris De Niro series is. And we look, we're working right now to turn the first book into a movie, so we have some major uh, Hollywood oh, producers that are working with me right now. So it's, it's, it's all great. good stuff, man. I'm going to throw the link up to your site on the show so when people listen to the podcast later on, they can find that where you are. Awesome, Mike. I look forward to talking to you again. You too, Joy. Take care, buddy. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. All right. Man, Tommy, I wish we had more time. We, we, people like that you could talk to forever, you know? Oh, yeah. I know. It's amazing. It's very Oh, uh, man. We only got a couple of seconds left. We've got to get the song on right now. Actually, the song is going to wind up going into the podcast. The show is going to end. The live show is going to end before the whole show is over. I can't help it, but play back the podcast. You'll get to hear the whole song of Let It Go off the demo from 89. I want to thank my guest today, Jim Little from Rogue Mail, Gerard Di Marini from America. Like I said, check out his books. He's a great writer as well as a guitar player. T, I'll talk to yeah. you this week, buddy. All right, okay. Talk All right, see everybody Thursday for Metal Matinee, 12 o'clock. Take care. Here you go, well, America. Let it go. Yeah. yeah.
think I throw in the little after-show bonus. That was America with High Velocity. I want to thank my guest tonight once again, Jim Little of Rogue Mail and Gerard DiMarini of America. Take care, everybody. I'll see you Thursday at 12 p.m. for the Metal Matinee. Have a great week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.